With lifelong troubles, you kept a smile on my face. And as I'm looking all around me, I say, how can I ever repay you? Mama was worth more than gold. And she always tried to tell me, this world is strange, so strange, so strange, my dear. This is bad for You know it really hurts inside, yeah. Good morning, beautiful people. Happy. Is it Wednesday? It's the middle of the week. Woo! I'm still floating from last night's um open opening reception for um uh uh at creative arts workshop that uh nico whedon uh curated and let me tell you something if you if you have presence of mind to go see all that beautiful artwork you really need to run asap and go see made visible freedom dreams um artist uh uh y malik jalal linda walters mickens and Jasmine Nicole, they, their work is extraordinary. I, I just want you to just go see it. And I'm up in the corner. And I'm going to be up there Mondays from third from February 13th through March 6th uh, doing spiritual directions. So I want y'all to come and have some of that love too. But last night was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was just amazing. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It felt like Harlem and Detroit and Atlanta it felt like New Haven. <laughs> that this is the richness of New Haven. I, I just enjoyed myself. So many people came out, and I'm so glad that they did. Like I'm just so glad that people showed up and they hung out and they took in the art and they talked. I took so many pic- pictures of people on the bench. It was, it was just, it was just, it was just amazing. You know, somebody kept saying it felt like the porch. <laughs> it felt like the porch on the inside. It did. It really did. I, I just love being around creative people. It just rubs off. And uh, it was lovely to see uh, Andrew and Sophie in the space, my my family, and my daughter Margo hanging out. Uh, she came through because so many people know her and she's an artist in her own right, even though she don't act like it. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, it was just a wonderful, it was just a wonderful time. And uh, I'm tired. <laughs> and it wasn't even a late night, for God's sake. You know, it's just that, you know, you're just moving in those spaces for uh, for two hours. It does take a toll on you, you know. And, and listen, I'm 60. <laughs> I'll be 60, right? So I'm, I'm, fi- I'm, a, I'm 59. I'm 59. I'm I'm not going to. I'm not going to usurp 59. I'm 59. I will be 60 in May. So let me just, let me just make that. Cause I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange being 59 because I'm so anxious to get to 60. I don't want to do that. So, so here I am. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was wonderful. I mean, it was just, I don't even know what to tell you. It was just, it was just, it was just a wonderful a wonderful, and there were so many people that was their first time in the, in the space, like the first time in the space. And I was like, whoa, how cool is this? How very cool. 
you know, and that just speaks to people not knowing where things are or not feeling like that's a place that they want to go see anything that matters to them. And, and it's not even that people won't go see things that matter to them. People just not invited to stuff. They never think about inviting black people to things that are not black. You know, they always think, oh, black people must go see black things. <laughs> I'm like, I'm here to tell you, we see black things, people. We we, we go to black stuff all the time. <laughs> stop trying to stop trying to dictate what is black stuff to us and trying to get us to come to stuff because you say. Invite us to everything and open the doors to everything. And we can pick and choose what we want to do, you know, like the rest of your patrons. That's how this has got to go. So I don't know. I just feel like um, there's a disconnect. There's always a disconnect. So I don't know if you heard me the last few minutes, Harry. Harry got all the new gadgets, so everybody's in the new gadget. Paul, Harry, Otter, Otter AI. Is that AI for artificial intelligence? <laughs> it's all right if it is. It's all right. So anyway, um, last night was amazing. And the pictures look great. And if you're on Facebook, pull them up. Pull them up, pull them up, pull them up, pull them up. And, uh, and scroll through and be excited. Uh, Patrick Dunn came through yesterday. It was lovely to see him. Lovely to see him. I, I know what it takes to come back into, into spaces after, you know, you had a very public breakup with the organization that you led. I get it. I get it. But you know what? One step forward. And he did. So I'm very happy about that. So it's very nice to see him. Let me, let me tell you something else that gets on my nerves. Let me tell you something else that gets on my nerves with white people. And if there are white people listening, don't do this. Check yourself. And and I know it's going to get back to him. And I don't care because I wanted to get back to him because I'm not holding my tongue on this. So the new the new board chair of the Creative Arts Workshop, uh, I guess, is a, a administrator over at Albertus Magnus College. So Natalie, in her wisdom, you know, uh, Natalie from uh, Big Voice uh, PR firm. Uh, who I, I think the world of uh, was just, you know, Natalie Judd uh, was just doing her due diligence, introducing me to the new board chair, telling him, oh, Babs is somebody you should meet. <laughs> now, I've already been in two meetings with this man. <laughs> and and he's, he starts talking to me as if he has never met me. Now, I I get it. If you don't see somebody often, you know, you you may not know who they are. But I, I think I'm the kind of person that people would remember in a crowded room of other people, particularly white people. <laughs> I don't, so he goes, uh, oh, it's nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I said, we know each other. So he so then he gets, you know, he gets that white man nervousness, <laughs> like, Wait, what the hell? I don't, I don't know that many black people, so I don't know what you're talking about. He didn't say that, but I could see from his. I said, I said, I chair the arts council, and we were in a meeting to facilitate with the new with neighborhood music school and the stakeholders about the backyard space. <laughs> so rather than say, "Oh my bad," he goes on to say, "Well, 
it's the glasses. I said, well, I've had these glasses for about three years. Well, it's the clothes. You look different. And I, and I just thought, why can't you just say, "My, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize it was you, rather than give me a multitude of excuses to hide your shame about you sitting in a meeting with the, of the black woman. And I'm a black woman of height and stature, right? Like I'm round and portly, tall, round and portly. So there's no mistaking me. I mean, there really isn't. And I have a big voice. So if you heard this voice, you have heard this voice. If you see me, you have seen me. And he just, he just went into this whole thing. And I was like, I said, you know what? Let me, uh, okay. All right. Fine. I'll, I'll see you next time. I'll make sure I come up and show off my same glasses and wear something you might resemble. I, I, I don't even know how to, you know. So if anybody sees that that cat who chairs the who chairs creative arts workshop, works at Alberta, just tell me no. Babs ain't mad. I just need you to do better. Get some black people in your life. Learn the difference. You know, now he'll probably, if he's listening, he's probably incensed and read and how can I ruin her life kind of stuff. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. He'll take it with a grain of salt and be like, you know what? She's right. My bad. <laughs> Harry, I don't care if you get reintroduced to people all the time. That's you. <laughs> I, I sit in a whole meeting of opportunity with somebody. A whole just just like a couple of weeks ago. Hey, Paul Bass. Right. <laughs> Dude. Good morning. Good morning, Babs. How are you? Good. Say good morning to Mr. Hey, Babs. Nathaniel Britton. He's a flagger. And what's the rest of the title? AWP. No, but you have a title job here today. A flagger. Flagger for AWP. Right. They're putting up fiber optic on what street are we on? Elm Street off of. Oh, Norton, not Norton, Mark Block from Norton. Not, Ellsworth. Not, on Ellsworth. Okay, Ellsworth. Yeah. Or on Ellsworth who's, Avenue. Who's putting and up fiber optics? All over, all over Edgewood, Babs, these trucks are, are here. Where people, I'll show you guys, they're up um, putting the fiber optic in the trees. Right. We're going to get your side. <laughs> so Mr. Britton's job is to make sure they don't get run over. Nobody right. gets run over, right? You hit, no, nothing bad happens. Once you're outside, everything good should happen. So what's the word on the street today? Today is Wednesday, WCW. Uh, um, it's, it's a good day. What's WCW mean? Women Crush Wednesday. Women Crush Wednesday. So you have a crush today? Every day. Okay. But Wednesday is a specific day. They they do on the internet, social media. If you have a crush <laughs> on somebody, you say Woman CW. WCW. Oh, like if you're like a movie star or somebody? Something like that. All right. You can have a regular crush. Yeah? Yeah. So do you have one today? Uh, yes. My mother. I crush on my mother every day. You crush on your mother. <laughs> so what do you do on Women Crush Wednesday for your mother? Uh, um, my mother, I make sure she wakes up and she gets a greeting and she, we say our prayer and we continually have um, been in good graces. Does and, she live here in New Haven? No, she lives in New York, actually. Did you call her this morning before you came out the flag? I didn't get a chance to. So I had to come to work and make sure everything's good. All so right. It's, it's patrolled and um, we're on safety to call procedures. And, um, so what time did you start out this morning, Jason? Uh, see, we clocked in around like seven, 
That's how quickly, as early they started? Sometimes we start earlier than that. Really? Yes. We have to define brackets up. And how late do you stay? Sometimes we stay longer than um, probably eight hour shifts. Do you, are you on your foot the whole day with this sign? Donate some boots. I need some boots. <laughs> Wait, excuse me? <laughs> if you want to donate some boots, I'm outside. Let me look at your boots. Your boots <laughs> no, no, look at the boots. Okay, don't they, look at the boots. Raggedy, raggedy. Oh, you got raggedy I've been, I've been going to war with my boots. Oh, yeah? How come? Um, when you're doing eight um, hours, they got to really come um, through. I just started this job, actually. I work for a different rocket company, so it, it, it's, it's going. I'm going through it. Tell me about the war with the boots. What do you need for your boots? I need... Uh, I don't want to say the name of the brand, but uh -huh. nice pair of boots would be lovely. And did you buy a pair you like, or they just? No, these was donated to me by a friend of mine. Oh, okay. Um, in the city of Bridgeport. Now, how did they not come through? Like, why are you mad at your boots? Because if you look at the back of them, they're speaking Spanish, and the front is speaking Japanese. And is that because they're wearing out when you yes, try? Yes. And is that because when you, when you're doing eight hours on your feet, it's very hard. Are there any tricks about like moving your weight, rocking oh, back yeah, and yeah. forth? I'm over three hundred pounds. Three hundred, really? Over three hundred. I didn't know that. So I have a lot of weight on my feet. So um, I have to sometimes, if you ask my coworker, you see me jumping on my feet sometimes to get the, the blood circulation going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's a long day. What about like back and forth? Like you said, how the front speaking Spanish, the back Portuguese. <laughs> that was a good line. But I mean, but I mean, like, I want to ask what you meant about that. Do you nah, need to... They're actually like, they're flapping, like the, the soles are coming apart. That's, that's holes in how long did that happen? In? Or were they used when you got them? It was when I got them. So you're looking for someone to donate you something? That'd be lovely. Well, I bet you they would. How would they find you? Do you have an email oh, yes, or have Facebook? A, uh, I have an Instagram. It's called Chicken Feed 81. Chick is there a line in there or just Chicken Feed 81? Chicken F-E-E-D, number eight, number one. And how did you get that name, Chicken Feed 81? Because uh, um, Chicken Feed is actually something I, I've been learning that like, once they... This, 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 this is a long story. The pollution, that when the, when the chickens poop... Yeah, and the cows poop. Methane. Yeah, it's just bad for the neighborhood. So why do you want to be Chicken Feed 81? Because if you look it up and you start researching it, you might be aware of something. So you want people to think about the environment. Right. Is that partly what you breathe in all day when the cars are going by? Oh, my goodness. I heard, uh, I learned about chem, um, how the pollution is in the air. Chemtrails? Chemtrails. And it's not good for anybody or any living. Although some of that stuff being the internet, they say, is a little bit made up. No. no I know no. Harry, our producer, doesn't agree with that. But Barbie, yeah. Barbie, Barbie. Babs. Babs, all that. <laughs> Babs, do you hey, think made up? Babs, do you think chemtrails are made up or real? I mean, I think I think I think a lot of things are rooted in a in a great deal of truth. And I think, you know, sometimes they attach um fictitious things to truth. That's so I like about you know. Yeah, so in other words, the stuff you need to find out and and um and Nathaniel here is trying to find out. Yes. He's trying to find out. now tell me how you do your job as a flagger. What do you need to know to keep everybody safe? What are you doing today? Um you have to uh, make sure you have a distance before the, the construction site. No, but you can't be too close. No, nah, you can be close just that before you get there. If you're speeding on a road, it's not good. Like this guy right here? Yeah. No. That's not, that's illegal. But don't get to play. I don't want nobody going to This do. place is blitzy. <laughs> Come on, guy. Oh, no, I thought that had something to do with him going fast. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's okay. Good. Nah, you're but you're not going to find him. Yeah. 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 You get a race. Okay. Sure Babs, can I get a race? <laughs> so now so you're saying that one thing is you can't go too fast we no, get no, no, close not, to the workers it's like 25 speed limit and it, we have posted signs so if you do speed it's illegal 
And what is it? What's the extra danger if you're speeding there? There's you the guy up there. Somebody, you can hit somebody. You can crash into the car. You can cause accident, and that's not a good thing. So tell me about you and your buddy here with the stop signs, and you're you're slow. Slow or stop. So mm -hmm. one way, if it's because it made a two lane into a one lane. Mm -hmm. So one side is either stop completely, and other can proceed slowly. So do you two go to opposite ends of the block? Yes, we do. And do you take breaks much during the day? Do you need? You must need to. Uh, um. Government says you have to take a break. How often? I'm not sure. Don't okay. quote me on that one. I won't quote yeah. you on that. We're not quoting him on this one, Babs. So yo, my man, yo, my man gotta get in this show. So this thing I gotta ask you, how long you been a flagger? All my life. I've been, I was um I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. My little, shout out to McClendon Elementary if they still there. I used to be um we call it the uh the crossing guard crossing guard <laughs> while you were a kid or after <laughs> elementary school. How did you get to be a crossing guard in elementary school? I had good grades. I was in the beta club, and I I was in the um choir. I was in the. Did they have Did they have a program for kids who were good kids to serve? I remember we had that when we were in school. I think so. I believe so. But I ended up going to. I graduated from there and went to high school out there in Atlanta. Right. And when did you start being a flagger? And what? Yeah. No, no. In your life, there in Atlanta. When I was like probably like eleven or twelve. And why did you want to be a flagger? Actually, I was a bad kid before I went down there. And then I went down there and I couldn't be bad no more because my father was very stern. And I respect that because nowadays the kids are acting really up. They didn't uh -huh. stop acting up. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, help the neighborhood. It was a good school. And then you've been a flag. How old are you now, Nathan? Whoa. How, how old are you? I'd say 30. Somebody said 35. But uh, I'm 38. Now, you've been a flagger for 20, I more than who? almost <laughs> 30 years. I, I believe so. And why a flagger? I license. Uh, uh, if you need, I need, you a, need a license to be a flagger? Yes and no. You got to be certified, though. Uh -huh. And what's the OSHA license? That's something extra? Mine's is, I did OSHA before I had this job. So um, this, this physical job, I, I did OSHA to become a construction worker. Oh, you're also a construction worker? Yes, sir. When do you do that and when do you flag? Um, I had my last season as construction was December and I was working for the city of Bridgeport. Uh -huh. And they laid us off in the beginning of December, right before so, Christmas. So you, that's not fair. But so you went back to flagging because you were laid off at this construction right, work? Right, right. And now where, where do you live? And how long, how often you been in New Haven? I come here frequently. I have a lot of family here. And why, so sometimes you're flag or sometimes you're construction I do, No, I'm actually a jack of all trades. What else I do, do what you're doing right now too. But I don't, people don't like the cameras in their face, so uh -huh. I do it from a distance. So you do blogging? Yes, I do. Where? Where do we find you? Instagram. And what Facebook. kind of stuff do you do? I do everything. I don't do violence. So I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do violent things on my, on my face. But tell me how much flagging you do, like in a year, how many weeks do you flag I just started actually last week. This company. But when's the last time you flagged? I flagged for the city of Bridgeport also, because we do construction, we do landscaping, we do masonry, we do. Uh, so you were a city employee. Yes, I was. And they have you sometimes doing construction, sometimes doing flagging. No, no, no. Once you're on the construction site, if, if you need to be, if traffic is coming, you have to clear the traffic. And before that, were you a flagger? Well, I'm trying to understand flagging. I'm really just like Paul, Paul Bass. Well, so I want to know what flagging is about. I'm very that's interested in that. Like, it's, it's a good job though, because it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Have you, you ever had a dangerous hat on? Yeah. My, my, my reflectors, and, um, my gloves, uh -huh. my boots, and my jeans. And Babs, do you have any questions for Nathaniel? Hey, Babs. So, hi. <laughs> All right. So to be a so to be a flagger, talk about the danger. What has happened oh, yes, to it's you? Dangerous. Listen, people sometimes drive over over the speed limit, and you can get hit and get ran over. Your brain can get crashed and crushed and um, to the tire and pavement. But 
it's, it's, it's sometimes an accident, so you can't fault people. But there's certain things you're not supposed to do when you're driving. And if you're doing that and somebody's in the road, they might not see the reflectors or the signs or the people and either hit something. Have, have you ever been hurt? My feet. What happened? My feet hurt. <laughs> I mean, did you ever get injured? Uh, uh, no, not me physically, physically, no. I'm really cautious because I don't want to die. All right, that's cool. Yeah. Any other questions for Nathaniel Babs? No. What time does your day end? Um, clinically, like yesterday, I, I clocked out at 8, 8 p.m. You started at what time did you start? 6.30. In the morning? Yes, sir. You work 12 hours flagging. You're on your fleet. Got to make sure my guys are secure. Yes, I'm on, my, on me, physically, on my feet all day. But you said you were on your feet 13 hours yesterday? I was. Why did you do a double? Because they had a lot of work doing with the fiber optic. Yeah, they used it for a while because he was spicy. And what are you doing today? How many hours are you going to be, you think? Hopefully, I'm going to do 20, but I can't. So what are you going to go? What time you think you'll end? So go from 7 to 4. I mean, technically, it's supposed to be an eight-hour shift, uh -huh. but it might last longer because how much work they have to do. Babs, any other questions to Nathaniel? We'll check them out on Instagram. Babs, hey. All right. Have a good, so, be listen, safe I have out some there. Wild things on my Instagram, but I have a, a party in Bridgeport on Runaway Bay this Saturday. It's ladies free and before 11. It's free hookah. Um, chicken free 81. <laughs> signing out or signing in. Yeah. Are we good, Babs? Uh -oh. Yeah, we good. Shout out to the people over there in Turkey and Syria. I feel bad for y'all. I wish I could go over there and help y'all. And every, anything that's bad in the world, I hope I could be there to help. Because there's a lot of things going on. All right, Babs. Well, this is right. Daniel and Paul signing out for Love's Bad Love Talk. Check it out. And WNHH New Haven's home <laughs> for community radio. Be safe. Just free money? <laughs> I tell you, there are characters amongst us. There are characters amongst us. I didn't know flagging was such a serious endeavor, though. I did not. I did not know you needed certification. I did not know. You know, uh, so I'm uh, I'm happy to uh, I'm happy to 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 know that to learn something about what it means to be a flagger, and all kinds of occupations have flaggers. I know they have flaggers on um, train and uh, on the railroad tracks, Amtrak and Metro, Metro North here in uh, New Haven. Um, so I, I had no idea that it was such a uh, an intensive job so uh, and from what I can tell from Nathaniel it's a damn good job so you know so so anyway back to last night so you know what Harry you might be right sometimes you could you could run into people and you don't know that where you know them from I, I've had I, I've had that experience you know but I just find it strange that we are in a meeting <laughs> a small setting of people and uh and it just slipped your mind it just was weird to me i'm always i'm just always taken aback by that kind of stuff you know so i get it if it was just a, a passing you know a passing introduction a chance meeting or you know you're someplace and somebody introduces you to somebody and then you you know like all right if i see you again i see you again but this was in an actual meeting where conversations were had and shared and blah 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 and, but you know, I get it. You're busy, busy, busy. Anyway, so I'm I'm letting it go. It's done. I'm gonna let it go. 
my hearts and prayers are still are are definitely with um the people of uh Turkey and Syria. And I guess Syria is in the midst. I don't even I, does the war stop now that you've got a crisis on your hand and everybody got to work together to dig people out and get you know and then go back to warring as usual. Like how does that work people? How does it work that you in the midst of a, a war, a civil war in your country, catastrophe hits on a scale, a, a magnitude that the world has not seen before. What do you do? Like, how do you, I mean, do you stop fighting with each other long enough to sort of like, we got a problem we got to deal with? This this catastrophe is bigger than the war that we're fighting with each other. Help somebody make it make sense. Help me understand. Am I am I being too uh, nonchalant about this? Is am I not being? I'm not taking this. I'm not going deeper. Like what? What is the protocol? If you're at war in your country, if you're Syria, you're at war with each other because that's what civil wars are—just fighting, infighting. Um, and a catastrophe hits, and you know the world's already already not feeling you. Like the world is not already feeling Syria for their actions and the foolishness that's going on in their country. So now you got this catastrophe where you need the world's support. Like you can't do this without the world's support. And the world is like, eh, we'll help Turkey. We'll, we'll send what we can to Syria because we're not feeling Syria and they're mess right now. What happens? You know, do you, do you say, you know what, the war is over? And we got to put all our, <laughs> we got to put all our attention on rebuilding so that we could like, you know, tear it all back down with another war. Oh, I just don't, I, don't, I just don't, it's, it, for me, it just makes it all seem ridiculous. Like to me, if I'm in Syria standing in front of rubble, I'm thinking, what, what were we fighting for? We were fighting for this land that has just betrayed us with an earthquake. Because that's how I'm seeing this. The land has just betrayed us with an earthquake of the magnitude that has just killed a lot of people. And we had, you know, we had people, Syrian people in Turkey that got killed. Syrians in Syria got killed. Turkish, Turkey people in Turkey got killed. <sighs> now, the war... This already took about 470,000 lives. It's been going on for 11 years. Seven months, one week, two days. <laughs> so does this legit end the war? Does it end it? You know. Uh, you know, and then and then they got they had a drought. And then they already had some pre-existing economic disparities under the Assad regime. I, I just don't know. So there have been a bunch of Arab Spring uprisings. And uh how, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you deal with this? So President Bashar al-Assad has got his hands full. 
So does that mean Iran and Russia are going to help them dig out? Like what? How does this all work? And you know, Russia is so busy marching on on Ukraine. How much help can they be to Syria? I'm just asking. These are the questions I'd want to know if I'm sitting in Congress or at the barbershop. This is what I want. I'm like, well, what happens? And 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 how much humanitarian aid is extended to Syria? Because they're on everybody's hit list right now. I don't know. I want to know. You know? So, so I don't know what's going on. I don't know. 11 years is a long time to have a beef with somebody and to kill people. So now you have to worry about because you don't have mass destruction. You have mass killings with, with the soup of an earthquake. I'm sure that killed a lot of Syrians. You know. So I'm just I'm just wondering how does this all how does this all play out? And uh I understand very little resources is getting to the Syrian people. I don't know. I just, you know, this speaks to what I said yesterday, that we have got to be better stewards and we have to be better to each other. You know, and I don't understand how any of this works. (sighs) Well, maybe it's not for me to understand. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not for any of us to understand. Or maybe it is. And we have to do work harder. You know what I mean? Maybe that's the call. Maybe the clarion calls that we have to work harder to be at one and at peace with each other. You know, so. I was trying to get some more info. So there's about, so far the death toll between the two countries is 11,000 people. I was like, how many people are in Syria? And 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 Turkey, eleven thousand is a lot. That's a huge amount of people, you know. And and they still got to deal with all the all the other stuff. This natural. I I would just I don't know. I'd have to sit down by the side of the road and smoke a cigarette, you know. and the New York Times, there's a story about a baby born in rubble of Turkey, Syria earthquake is one of many child victims. Oh, gosh. <sighs> so, and there's a, it's a huge, you know, if you look at Al Jazeera, uh, satellite images show scale of destruction in Turkey and Syria. So it's a lot. Like, how are they going to overcome this? Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It makes me exhausted just just even talking about it. You know, like how how do you come back from this? I mean, we know how to come back from it. It's going to take the whole world. It's going to take the whole world providing aid, support and and boots on the ground. You know, cuz you got to set up sanitation, you got to set up uh uh uh, places for people to eat, places for people to sleep. 
places for people to, to relieve themselves, places where people can rest. You know what I mean? And I know there are people working around the clock trying to rescue as many people as they can from underneath the rubble. And I watched on television, I was watching the buildings. People, you know, people were just going about their business. You know, I'm going to the dry cleaners. I'm going to, to the coffee shop. I'm going. And the whole building's just within seconds. That just freaked me all the way out. Like people have just walked out of buildings and it collapses. And there are people still in the buildings. <sighs> wow. It's a tough time. So, so I, I, this is what I would say. Those of us that, that, that who are, wherever you live, if you, if you have Turkish or Syrian friends, or, or provide some support or a kind word or a prayer or something and let them know that they are not alone in this, in this time. Um, I drove by Pistachio this morning and their doors were closed and the blinds drawn. So I would imagine that they are dealing with, um, what is happening in their um, in their country? I would imagine um, that they are trying to reach out to their loved ones and their family members in Syria. I would imagine that that's what they're trying to do, um, as well as the um, uh, the folks that own Brick Oven Pizza over there in Elm. I, I imagine you know that they are beside themselves trying to connect. Uh, with people and trying to do all that they can from this end to uh, to send resources uh, to, to, to those in need. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it, but they're doing it. They'll figure it out. And, you know, the good thing for us in Connecticut is that, you know, we've got a good delegation of folks who uh, always stand at the ready, you know, Rosa DeLauro and Chris Murphy and Blumenthal and and, and, and countless others at the at the congressional level who um, will, you know, help mobilize efforts um, to 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 get resources and access to uh, people because their constituents are here. So, you know, it's a it's a precarious situation, and I I dare say Syria can't be in the middle. Of a, of a civil war. I'm like, I don't, I don't care what you say. You could, you could be in the middle of a civil war, but you don't lost so many people. What you going to do? You're going to just keep killing other people to go with the people that died in the earthquake. Like, how does that work? <laughs> like, don't you got to go secure some? I don't know. It's just, uh, huh. um, but you know, Getting, getting help to Syria is going to be challenging because, you know, 12 years is civil war business, you know, complicates things. And they, and they need all the help that they can get. I don't care what they say or what they don't say. They know that they need the help of the world. And if it means that they got to squash whatever the civil war is, then that's what the hell they're going to have to do. That's it. You know, you can go back to killing people after you rescue people. Right now, you you got bodies on your hands, and you got to deal with that. So, uh, it's too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. It is so much. 
And I, you know, I don't want people to get caught up in despair. Like, don't, don't get caught up in despair. These moments, you know, if you are born in these moments, you were meant for these moments and, and you can rise up in these moments and, and become good and helpful and useful in these moments. That's, that's, I think that is the point of these moments, you know, that you can, uh, that you can help and be useful in these moments. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, just saying. You know, and I and I feel some kind of way because I just came off a great celebration last night uh, of art and artists and seeing people uh, in the space. It was just amazing. It was a lovely, lovely time. And uh, and that's you know I always say this y'all know we have the capacity we we each of us hold the capacity for a great many things we can have sorrow and celebration we can have grief and new birth we can have death and hallelujah we can we can have all the things we have capacity to hold space. Um, for pain and joy, for suffering and celebration. You know, we, we have the capacity. We have the capacity, you know, and that's what makes us human so that we don't have to stay in the, the, the place of woe, that uh, we can mourn, pay our respects, do all that we can, and still find opportunities and ways and spaces to celebrate life because life is the ultimate celebration. Living is the ultimate celebration. Um, and so, so we have that capacity to do that. <sighs> I've got Carlton Highsmith coming on at the next hour. I mean, I'm delighted to talk to him. You know, to talk, talk, talk about the, uh, the Boulet, the oldest social fraternal organization, Black fraternal organization. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to uh, uh, have them on and, and talk about their upcoming a promising scholars program that they are about to uh, uh, announce and are recruiting for. So I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about the boule. You know, the boule is bougie as all get out. I don't mind it. I don't say that disparagingly or with the malice forethought. <laughs> I'm saying it because. I, I know the boule, elegant, classy, all the things. Old world, old school, 1904, you know, Sigma Pi Phi, fraternity, the boule. So, so anyway, they're coming on. Uh, Carlton Highsmith is coming on to talk about uh, what they're up to and, and how the community can be a part of helping them realize some of their fraternal goals 
Community Fraternal Goals. So stay tuned for that at 1015. You know, Carter Highsmith is a very interesting man. So uh, so I, how could I not want to talk to him about what's going on with the Boule and um, promising scholars? Uh, we have to send kids to college and so we have to figure out a way to do that. It's an ongoing effort. It's an ongoing effort. So, um, so yeah. So I want y'all to tune in so, you, so y'all can listen to how y'all can help. That's the point. <laughs> tune in. Tune in to how they can help. I did get up this morning to study. Oh, it took everything I had. I didn't get up at five. I, I laid in the bed till 6.30. I did get up at 6.30. And, uh, and I worked on uh, comparison questions. That's what I did. And then I went and did a carpool because I'm doing carpool yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Tomorrow's my last day for carpool with the soft mommies, of the soft millennial mommies. <laughs> Lots of dads, too. Lots of dads, not just mommies. Lots of dads out there dropping off their kids. I, I see y'all. I see you doing the damn thing. I see you. I saw, so this was this was like the easiest carpool ever. It's not it's not the carpool of my day. <laughs> this is a, this is a softer kind kinder gentler carpool. You know where they meet your child at the car. Like you don't have to park. First of all, you don't have to jockey for a parking space. You don't have to circle the parking lot like Jaws. Da-da, da-da. Like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to trash talk other mommies. (laughs) You took my part. I was about to pull in there. You saw me. (laughs) You don't have to do that. There's none of that. These these millennial mommies are soft, I say. Soft. No. They don't got to walk a kid to the classroom and sign them in. You don't have to do any of that. You know, and maybe hang around for a few minutes if you have a weepy kid, you know, a kid that's like has a little bit of separation anxiety, you know. Nope, they meet you in the parking lot. They get your kid out the car and they wave you on. I was like, oh, where the hell was this when I was a, a new mother getting getting four children to school? I could have used these extra hands, getting them out of car seats and such. And trying to be fast because I know people was waiting for the parking. What? It's a new day. It's a new day. It is such a new day. You millennial mommies are soft. I know. I, I'm, I'm trying not to be a hater, but I am. Because I remember all the times I had to jockey and get my car in there. <laughs> Huh, these new mommies, you just pull up. Today's 100, 100 days of school. Today is the day at, at the Obama Magnet School. Today is at 100 days. So all the teachers had on 100 glasses, which was cute. Sounds like, okay. All right, 100 days. Let's celebrate. 100 days of school. Wow. I don't know who keeps up with that information. Who keeps up with that intel? But hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Uh, so yeah, so I did that this morning. I got one more morning to do it. It was my honor to do it. I was happy to do it. My pleasure to do it. Help my girlfriend. I know what it's like. I've had people help me along the way. Uh, doing some of the very same things that these people that that I'm doing, you know, so it gets paid forward. It gets paid forward. So I'm happy to do it. Plus, I kind of like having a little kid in my car. We talk in the car. And, you know, I, you know, today is gym day. So, I, you know, I was talking to her about gym and she asked me what I liked about gym. And I like the freedom of gym, be, being able to run around and, you know, burst of energy and stuff like that. So, so it was really, really cute to talk to her about gym day, you know, gym day, get these kids, get these kids out there, let them have some fresh air, fill those lungs and some movement in their body and, uh, and all of that. So 100, 100 days, happy 100 days of school. God bless you teachers. Oh, God bless you. I wish I could just bake cookies for all of you. Or, or write you big, bigger checks. <laughs> I, I wish that I could, you know, because I, I really would. I really would. I really would. I really would. So anyway, um, that's it. That's the, that, that was uh, this morning's run. I didn't stop to get French toast sticks. I, didn't, I don't want to eat like that. I just had a hankering for them. Because Burger King makes vegan French toast sticks, so I had I had them yesterday. I didn't want them this morning. I think this morning what I'll do is um, when I get off air, I'll stop by Manhari's and get like an egg sandwich or something if I'm feeling so inclined. Do you know what I mean? Like, and Manhari's is back to having dinner. So if you've not gone there for dinner, I think there was a little piece in the register. I think there's going to be one in the in the independent too. I believe if one of the artists, uh, one of the writers went over there. But you know, it's a uh, old world cooking. It's good. It's really really good. So I'm just here to tell you, uh, I enjoyed it. My friends and I, my girlfriends and I, we uh, we've uh, we've gone a couple of times. And uh, we've enjoyed it very much, you know. And they're looking for a bartender. So if you know anybody who's a good bartender, you know that's a that's a um, that's on my bucket list to be a bartender. I think I would be a most excellent bartender because you know I love to talk, and uh, and I would I could probably make a really good cocktail. I mean I know what I like for myself, but I like to. I, I they used to take they used to have a bartending class at uh, Gateway. I have to go and see if they still have bartending class i'd sit in on a bartending class and learn how to bartend and then i'd go bartend like somewhere you know like i'd i'd bartend at mahari's <laughs> it's like just give me all the good stuff that's what i would do you know that's that's what i'm thinking so we'll see we shall see but if I could find me a bartending school, I would take a bartending class. If it's not too expensive and not ridiculously time consuming, I just want to get the basics down so I know what I'm doing. You know, uh, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. But I, I would I would like to be a bartender. 
I always wanted to be a bartender. I always wanted to own a bar. You know, like like a um a swanky little hideaway. You know, not divey, like like not divey, but out the way. Do you know what I mean? Like not too sleek. Like I don't want it to be so sleek and slick that it feels mm, sleek and slick. I want it to feel out of the way, cozy, and you know, a little contemporary, a little bit, a little bit contemporary. I'm just saying, oh, there's a Connecticut School of Bartending. Who knew? There's a Bartender's Academy in Fairfield. Uh, the Connecticut Bartending Networking Group. Do you need a license? In Connecticut, there, are, there aren't any state regulations in place that require a server or bartender to be licensed in order to sell alcohol. It is important to keep in mind, though, that some bar owners will require bartenders and servers to complete such courses regardless of the state or city laws. I think that's not a bad idea. Separates the wheat from the chaff, you know. But you could, I probably, uh, if you're totally new to bartending or are having trouble getting your first bartending job, yes, it's worth it. A bartending course is worth it, yes. If you have some experience bartending and only need the specific certification or permit required to work in your area, no. No, I, I don't I don't know I don't have any bartending experience. So so bartending school in Connecticut could be anywhere from five hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars. So the cost to attend the bartender's academy ranges from five hundred dollars to fifteen hundred dollars, depending on the qualification, with a median cost of seven seven hundred dollars. So I don't know. Is that, I don't know if that's a, a, a good investment or not. I would ask my, I, I have to ask my friend, Tim Cabral. Like, if I wanted to be a bartender, what is required? He'll be like, Babs, I'll teach you. It's a two-day professional bartending course. It includes the state and national SMART, Servers and Managers Alcohol Responsibility Training, recognized by the Connecticut Department of Liquor Control and Police Departments. Okay, so it's like a two-day commitment. I like it. Mm. I'd bartend. Oh, let me get, oh, shoot. Let me get me some bartending license. I don't like to make some bartending. I like to, you know, I'd do that. The highest paid bartender is head bartender. Wow. Head bartenders earn an average salary of 89366 which is about $42 and $96 an hour. Wow. Monitoring bar operations, assisting the bar staff and ensuring the highest customer satisfaction by addressing the guest needs and concerns. Now, I don't want that job. <laughs> I, don't, I just want to be a bartender. I just want to show up and, and tin bar, make tips and go on about my business. <laughs> Listen, on average, a bartender's salary with tips is $60,000 per, per year. And that, that, that is assuming that they make $12.91 an hour on wage and $150 shift on tips. What? I want to learn how to bar. I want to learn how to tend bar. To become a bartender. So, okay, I get it. So I'm going to do my best. 
Oh, I'm gonna do my best. Let's see what if it's a two day commitment. I think I could, out of all the stuff that I'm doing, I know I got some nerve, but I'm, I'm, I might just squeeze in a bartender's class and then let somebody let me apprentice at their bar. You know, let me, let me, let me work some nights. I think I'd be good at it. I'd be a little rust. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I've got a culinary background and restaurant background and, and wait, wait, waiting tables background. Like I know how to do all that stuff, you know? So, but if I could just stand behind the bar, you know, bring people drinks, order drinks, ring up drinks. Oh my God. I would do it and get some tips. <laughs> oh, Oh, yes. I think, and, and you know what? This is what I would do. I would fundraise. I would just bar fundraise. I, I would do a little bit of bar fundraising. I would like, you know, hey, I'm bartending at this place. Whatever tips you leave me, that's the money I'm going to give to an organization. I'm going to be bartending from six to 10, some old thing. <laughs> You know, that's all I'm saying. That's that's all I'm saying. That's what I would wanna, I'd wanna um, do. Anyway, um, I'm gonna look into that. I'll keep you all posted how I do. I just wanted to be a bartender. If I could figure out a way to do it, I'm not a busy bar. Like I don't want to be one of these busy bars. I want to be in a like an easy, slow, not a slow bar, but. You know, not 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 one of these high. I want to bartend with kids. I want to I want a grown up bar. So we'll see. I'm gonna text my friend Tim Capra. I was like, I'm thinking about becoming a bartender on top of being an attorney and a minister. What do you think? <laughs> oh, oh my God! I always wanted to be a bartender, just like I always wanted to work in a wine shop or own a wine shop because I I, I enjoy that kind of stuff so much. So my, this might be my path, yeah. one way or the other. We'll figure it out. I'll have, I'll, we'll figure it out. So anyway, I will be back in about um, 15 minutes with Carlton Highsmith from the Boulay. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, the rising scholars. And uh, it'll be good. It'll be a good conversation. So thanks for hanging out with me. Got on my Long Wharf Theater hat because I'm a supporter, not a hater. And uh, I'll see y'all in a few minutes. Thanks, Hi, Harry. This is Babs Rawls Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut, and you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. So many years of depression make me vision the better living type of place to raise kids in. Opening eyes to the lies, history's told foul, but I'm as wise as the old owl. Plus the gold child, seeing things like I was controlling, click rolling. Tricking six digits on kicks and still holding trips to Paris. I civilized every savage. Give me one shot, I turn tripe life to lavish. Political prisoner, set free, stress free. No work release, purple M3s and jet skis. Feel the wind breeze in West Indies. I think Coretta Scott King, mayor of the cities in reverse beans to Willies. It sound foul, but every girl I meet to go downtown. I'd open every cell in Attica, send them to Africa. Imagine that.
story how the thugs live and worry. Duck down in car seats, heat's mandatory. Running from Jake, getting chased, hunger for pips. These are the breaks, many mistakes go down out of state. Wait, I had to let it marinate. We carry weight, trying to get laced. Flip the A stack to safe. Millionaire plan to keep the gap with the cock hammer. Making moves in Atlanta, back and forth, scrambler. Cause you can have all the chips, be poor or rich. Still nobody want a nigga have a shit. If I rule the world and everything in it, sky's the limit. I push the Q45 infinite. It wouldn't be no such thing as jealousies or be felony. Strictly living longevity to the destiny. I thought I'd never see, but reality struck. Better find out before your time's out. Swim it up. It's shine season. Yeah. Black. Black. Black is beautiful, baby. Black is bold. Black is black, true, but black is gold. No. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Look. I said black is beautiful, shawty. Black is bold. Black is black, true, but black is gold. Hey. Let's go. Look. Black is beautiful, shawty. That you should know. Don't let American standards damage your African soul. Natural hair over the weave under I buy you G-Bunchy bags and rap it neat for you I rap a feature and buy you pieces from people that you love Celine Dion pay for that Celine that you got on Yo, is you single, is you good? Can I get into your wet game? Cause you finger looking Oh, uh, mm, you sweet when you put on I don't mind you body shy cause you can sleep in my cologne Woo! Yeah, okay, while I on that other shit That grown man build up your mind Slide in your stomach shit Hold hands, rarely in public They never notice us They might as well tell you we all We got that golden touch <laughs> You get it?
blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to rise Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment to be free And blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the light Dark black night Black bird fly Black bird fly Into the light Dark black night Blackbird singing black in the dead of night Black is black, true, but black is Take gold. these broken wings and learn to fly Hope you know you inspire the future women for us. Don't know your vibe, really. Just know that your mother, Kenyan, just know.
Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs, Love Talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. You know, it's Black History Month, so we're playing all the blackest music we could possibly play in two hours. This morning, I am delighted to have Carlton Highsmith come on this morning because he's going to be talking to us about, a, a, I, I don't know who outside the circle would know about Sigma Pi Phi, the boule, but we're going to get into it this morning. Uh, I know about it because I run into circles where I would know about it. <laughs> Unmute yourself and let's have a conversation about Sigma Pi Phi and the, the Beta Beta Tau chapter here in, in New Haven. <laughs> okay, I will. First of all, Babs, thank you so much for uh, allowing me on to talk about um, a real a project that is really dear to our heart at uh, Sigma Pi Phi and also to talk about the secret society that no one knows about. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I know something about uh, the Boulet because they were founded in 1904. They are not a collegiate fraternity, but it is the oldest black fraternity in the in the world, I would say. Um, and it has a chapter here in New Haven um, that has a long and storied history. And y'all move about the world doing all kinds of cool stuff. So you've got promising scholars coming up. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, promising scholars, not to be confused, with the promise, New Haven promise. Uh, ours has been around actually longer than New Haven promise. Um, our fraternity, um, the New Haven uh, Boule, was established in 1983, as you know, Babs. Mm -hmm. And four years later, uh, because education is so central to the members of our fraternity, because it was an education that got most of them out of poverty. Uh, many were first generation college graduates. And so it was important to us, um, as we look at our pillars, one of the pillars of our organization is to reach back and to help uplift our community. Uh, we can think of no better way to do that than to sponsor scholarships for really high achieving uh, African-American students in the New Haven area. And so we actually started to award scholarships in 1987, uh, mostly from uh, checks that were written directly by the members of the Boulet. Uh, and that continued until 2004, uh, when we actually formalized ourselves around a nonprofit organization we call Promising Scholars. And it's Promising Scholars since 2004 has been awarding scholarships to amazing Black students throughout New Haven area. So, I, you know, just the fact that y'all have the power to just open your checkbooks and like, this is what we're going to do. We're not even going to have a nonprofit. We're going to just write the checks and we're going to do this collectively. And, oh, well, you know, I guess now we should just organize and and, and do this thing well, with a nonprofit. I, actually, <laughs> it, it was because we wanted to have greater impact. Uh, we recognized that um, uh, we had limited capacity and if we were to organize ourselves around a nonprofit organization to go out and raise money from other folks. And that's primarily the driver behind why we did that, uh, to wait, uh, able to uh, issue larger scholarships to more kids and have greater impact. So when you talk about scholarships, like what kind of money are we talking, Carlton? Like, because college is, I, I, college is exponentially, ex exponentially more than when I went to college. And I was out, I've been out of college 40 years. And, uh, and when I look at what young people, the debt that they're carrying and the, and the, and the load of that, I, I don't know how parents and people do it. What kind of scholarships are you able to help offset um, uh, these exorbitant prices of, of an education? 
I was, I'll, I'll give you the recent history. Uh, last year and the year before, and actually this year as well, we're going to be awarding a total of fifty thousand dollars in scholarships to New Haven area kids, uh, and we try to divide that up uh, between seven and eight students. Wow! Can so, do the math. So it's not a minimum amount of money for students who are trying to uh, pay for college education today, which is extraordinarily expensive, as you said. It is, and so so tell me a little bit about the criteria. Like, how do how do people find you? Uh, when do you open your application doors, and what's the process like? Well, Babs, we use a um, a national organization called uh, Scholarship America, and that's what they do. Uh, they administer scholarships for organizations all across the country, and so we use Scholarship America. They have a portal, um, and I'll give you the uh, portal uh, access to the web. Um, you submit your application through that portal. Uh, they actually have our selection criteria that we provided to them, and they have a panel of uh, assessors and judges, and they will actually assess all of the applications and recommend the recipients to us. So it's independent of uh, the local leg. We just are looking for outstanding students academically, uh, students who are leaders in their school, in their community, uh, who have a passion for excellence. Those are the, sort of the criteria that we established. And mm -hmm. Scholarship America uh, selects those students for us. So is it a is it a, a one semester scholarship, a one year scholarship? Is it is a continuing scholarship? Like if you get it once, do you get it all four years? Like what's the what's the criteria? That's a great question, Babs. One of the things we try to do um, is make it renewable. So okay. a student who wins it as an interim freshman can apply again as an interim sophomore. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we have any number of kids who have wanted all four years. So it is renewable. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so it's not limited to just men, boys. No. No, it is not. It is not. Um, we named our scholarship uh, the Edward A. Boucher Award. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about Edward A. Boucher because those who travel Dixwell Avenue will see a mural of the young Edward A. Boucher at the corner of Dixwell and Henry. Um, but we do not just award our scholarships to um, Black young men. We have women as well. And thanks to the generosity of um, a donor who wanted to uplift a young lady by the name of Anna Louise James, who was the first black pharmacist uh, in uh, Connecticut. Um, we've added to our scholarship fund and we award two additional scholarships in the name of Anna Louise James to uplift that uh, outstanding young African-American female who was the first black pharmacist in the state of Connecticut. You just gave us a little black history fact. <laughs> I did not know that. I run a yeah. whole black newspaper. I did not know that. Yeah, she ran for years, an incredible little pharmacist, pharmacy in Old Saybrook. Wow. Yeah. I like that. So 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 tell me about Edward Boucher and, and why he's important to, to the Boulet. Well, first and foremost, he was born and bred in New Haven, and that was important to us. Um, his father um, was a manservant to a student at Yale. 
Um, years and years ago, when Yale would recruit students from the South, they would typically arrive in New Haven with a servant, with a manservant to serve them while they were students here. And Boucher's father was one of those manservants. Uh, grew up in New Haven. Um, early on, he was recognized as being an outstanding student. Uh, so much so that they offered an invitation for him uh, to attend Hopkins um, Grammar School at the time. And it was, at the time, as you know, a preeminent um, college prep uh, school in the country. And so Ed Boucher went to Hopkins, graduated from a one in his class at Hopkins, though he didn't have any of the resources that most of the white kids had at Hopkins, he finished number one in his class. And they had a tradition at, at, at Hopkins where if you finish number one in your class, uh, you got to speak at graduation day. Well, because of the color of his skin, Ed Boucher was not allowed to speak at that graduation at Hopkins. But that didn't deter him. He went on to enroll at Yale, Yale College. He was one of the first blacks to do so. And you can imagine the racism and discrimination that he experienced uh, back in the 1860s attending Yale. Mm. Um, but he persevered. And actually what happened at Yale, perhaps he did exactly the same thing he did at Hopkins. Finished number one in his class. And he, and he got his degree in three years. Wow. Three years. And Yale did exactly what Hopkins did. They had a tradition of allowing the valedictorian to speak, but not Ed Boucher. He was not allowed to speak. So, so does that help you use leverage to get Yale to fund some of the scholarship money? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, they, what Yale did do to their credit thanks to one of our distinguished uh, members, we call our members archons, uh, Dr. Curtis Patton. Uh, Dr. Patton is retired now, but Dr. Patton was one of the first black professors in the School of Medicine there. Um, and uh, Dr. Patton has been one of the ones who has really uplifted the story of Ed Boucher, so much so that other colleges around the country have recognized the work that uh, Dr. Boucher had done. And so, um, Dr. Patton petitioned Yale to acknowledge the accomplishments of Ed Boucher. And so there's a painting that hangs in the Great Hall at Yale um, of a young Ed Boucher, um, much uh, to the credit of Dr. Uh, Patton, who has helped Yale to acknowledge that. that fact. Do you know if, if there's some Boucher still in New Haven? Um, I believe there is, there is a, um, a niece and I can't remember her name now. Oh my goodness. I feel so horrible, but there is a Boucher, uh, offspring, a niece of Boucher who lives in New Haven right now. Wow. And she's a pretty distinguished young lady, but I can't remember her name. I, I'm just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not a common name. And, uh, and I would, I, I always wonder, uh, when people who are born here at that particular time, uh, where where the roots go? So, mm -hmm. so I'd be interested in, um, in in hearing that. So so you've been having scholars since 1987. Yes. And do you keep track of them? Where are they? Tell me. Do give, give me some of the highlights of of some of the scholars that we might know. And what are they up to? 
Okay, that's a very good question. Um, a few years ago, we actually hired a researcher, and now we have a, a record contacts of every recipient since 1987. Wow. Uh, at some point, we're going to try to pull together a reunion of sorts. Uh, let's see if you can recognize any of these names. A few you may not. Keon Collender, as an example. Keon is a graduate of UConn. He went on to get his uh, master's degree in health administration from Michigan, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And now he's back in Connecticut working for Hartford Healthcare as hmm. a director in their health equity uh, division all around the country doing magnificent work about health equity. Um, James Brockington. Does that name sound familiar? Yes. Yes. Tia um, Russell. Yes. James was a recipient of our scholarship, the attendant Johnson Wales. It's become an entrepreneur extraordinaire. As a matter of fact, Saturday night, I was at Lyman at his uh, annual dance recital with 1,500 other folks as these magnificent young uh, dancers throughout New Haven uh, performed for us. And that's all because of uh, James and his wife and Tia Russell Dance Studio. They've done a magnificent job. Um, we have Dirk Johnson. Dr. Dirk Johnson uh, is a trauma surgeon at Yale Raven Hospital. Um, we have Alexis Smith, who is the director of New Haven Legal Services. I know her. We served on Common Ground Board together. I know yep. you know her too. <laughs> I do. A Duke graduate. She was one of the early, early recipients of the award. So those are a few of our, of our award recipients. And what we try to do, Babs, in addition to providing the money for these students, we also try to develop relationships with them, engage with them uh, throughout their college careers to provide sort of mentorship, uh, advice and counsel they may need while they're uh, attending college or universities. I remember um, James Brockington as an example, when he was down at Johnson Wales in Charlotte, um, he was given a project by a business professor to interview a CEO. Um, and he was a kid from New Haven and he didn't know any CEOs other than he remembered our uh, engagement with him at our fraternity award ceremony. So he reached out to us. And so we were able to have one of our members fly to Charlotte, meet with him and his team and give him the interview that he needed for this class project. And we try to have to develop those kinds of relationships with uh, our recipients. Mm. So tell me about the award ceremony. Is it a big shindig? Because as I recall, the Boulets threw some of the most elegant balls and parties. I don't know if y'all still do that because I don't know if I'm on that list anymore, but. <laughs> Actually, that's what we try to do uh, with, our, with our students, our scholarship recipients, is celebrate them and their families and their accomplishments. So yes, there's lots of pomp and circumstance around our ceremonies um, to honor these kids. Um, the pandemic uh, has put it in the virtual world the last three years. This will be the first year in three years where we're actually gonna be getting together again in person. And we try to, to really do it up big for the kids to celebrate them and their accomplishments. We make it feel sort of like a graduation. Um, we award them not just the check for their scholarship, we give them a, metal, uh, um, 
of Edward Boucher's bust. Um, so we try to make it really special for the kids. Wow. I, I want that. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a nice scholarship. <laughs> nice scholarship thing so so you so Carter, tell me why this is so important to you i mean i know you are you this is your fraternity but y'all could do all sorts of different kinds of things why why is this particular why is the scholarship piece um so important there's so um much um that i could say about why we do this particular initiative i think if i look at one of the founding principles of our fraternity, it talks about reaching back to the community to try to uplift the community. And education is such a central core to who we are in the Boule mm -hmm. that we could think of no better uh, way to do that than to provide uh, not just money access to these, to these youngsters, because as you mentioned earlier, money to attend college these days is a tremendous tremendous obstacle for so many people, but also um, giving the kids access to the members of our fraternity, and there are 37 of us in Beta Town in New Haven, giving them access to us will help, we think, um, get over this stigma that so many of our kids have when they get to a college campus of, do I belong here? So mm. we want to get rid of that stigma. Yeah, you belong. And not only do you belong, you can excel there, as did Edward A. Boucher. Mm. Uh, that sounds like um, you must have been listening to some of the concerns and 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 challenges that young people are having uh, around uh, uh, their their own authenticity on in spaces that may or may not be absolutely welcoming, welcoming, but not absolutely welcoming. So it sounds like you've been listening to, um, uh, to, to, these, to these young students talk about what their experiences or past students, what they've experienced. Is that the case? It, it is very much the case. And not only do I listen, I also share some experiences with them um, because it's not a phenomenon that most of us have not experienced. I will tell kids um, and they laugh. You know, I look, would, used to look in a mirror, particularly as a young corporate executive before I became an entrepreneur, I would look in a mirror every morning and, and, and ask the question, is this going to be the day they find out I'm not as smart as they think I am? Mm. And the kids hear that and they say, you could never have had those self-doubts. Well, yeah, I did. Is this going to be the day they discover that I'm not as smart as they think I am. Wow. That is a, that is a, I mean, coming from somebody like you that, have, that has accomplished so much sort of brings it to a place where they can have some um, connection to what success can look like, even in the face of feeling those kinds of insecurities. That's ex exactly right. And uh, I've always maintained they have to, to see it, to be it, right? And oftentimes they'll look at uh, us and members of our fraternity and they can't see themselves in us. And our job is to um, convince them that they are us, they can be us. Mm. It's gonna take work, hard work, determination, drive, but they can be us. So, you know, so Carson, at, at this point in your life, 
you know, I'm going to ask you the Oprah question. What do you know for sure about how to achieve, how to sort of uh, define success? How do you, what do you know for sure about the pathways to get to where people think they want to be in terms of what they want to accomplish? And, And that's different for everybody. But I would imagine that you have some concrete steps about how to sort of position yourself for success. Very profound and hard question, Basman. I think I think it's one first of of envisioning what what how do what do I see myself as? What ultimately does success look like? And it's going to look like different things for different people. Uh, but it first starts with what is that vision? Um, and then it's okay. What do I need to do each and every day to work toward that vision? And there are baby steps, there are giant steps. Uh, sometimes you trip and fall, and you pick yourself up and you say, okay, is that vision still one that I embrace? And you go back at it. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. You first have to envision what it looks like. And it's gonna look like different things for different folks. Like today, my happiness comes from my six grandkids. That's what I look forward to most of anything else. How do I engage with my six grandkids <laughs> at their level? <laughs> well, it's spoken like a, a true grandfather, because guess what? They go home. And you... <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> you get to send them home. You get to love kids. on them and then send them on home. Fill them up with candy and all the stuff and be like, okay, now you got to go home to your... To your parents, to your parents. So, so what do you what do you want? Um, you know, this is a this is an interesting time, Carlton, for young people. They are they are uh, dealing. We're starting to see young people have language around their mental health concerns. Um, some we are seeing more and more kids come through and out of abject poverty. You know, we're seeing school systems that. Um, are fractured at best. How do how do we position our kids to sort of find success? Well, uh, that's a really profound question. If I had all of the answers there, I would uh, really actually be in DC right now. <laughs> with uh, Biden and his, and his you know, we could send you. We could get you. The, you know, we that's just a phone call. <laughs> well, but we I think need, it, we need I you think I think it starts, perhaps, uh, with what you just said. Uh, there has to be an, a recognition that we have issues today that are profound issues that are going to adversely impact uh, an entire generation of kids. Um, and it's not just black kids; it's all kids. I get a chance to, on my perch at Quinnipiac University, uh, to see the issues with the kids that are coming into college now, out of the pandemic. The sense of of, of belonging, of loneliness, of dysfunction that has been caused by being in seclusion for uh, three years, trying to uh, uh, survive in this virtual world for the last three years. So I think it takes a recognition on the part of the policymakers that we have a generation in crisis and we need to devote the resources to delivering to these kids the help they need, the assistance they need. 
Um, so I, I get upset when I don't see a sense of urgency from the policymakers, the people that can make a difference, who make choices about how monies get spent, how budgets get allocated, because we have kids in crisis and they need to be dealt with, absolutely needs to be dealt with. I think you're absolutely right. So, so let me switch gears. Tell me some other activities that's going on with the boule. I'm sure a scholarship, I mean, I, I know that's probably the cornerstone of what y'all do, but what else, what else do y'all do over there in the secret society? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of the things we have coming up um, October 1st, uh, and this is related to our scholarship fund, um, our big fundraiser each year is our golf um, tournament. Um, so October 1st, uh, we have our uh, annual golf tournament. Um, that's going to be... Uh, like I said, a spectacular event. We have over 100 golfers participate each year. We try to make it a special event. Um, Friday night, um, our wives are known as Akusa. So this Friday night, about half the fraternity are getting together at a club in, I think, Seymour. Um, mm -hmm. And they're going to have dinner. And uh, we have Alisa, the, the, the salsa lady, coming to administer a salsa lesson for those of us who don't know how to salsa. <laughs> but we'll be dancing the night away on Valentine's Day with our Akusa on Friday night. That's, that uh, sounds wonderful. <laughs> yes. I, who am a horrible salsa dancer. I mean, I am absolutely the worst. So I'm going to be embarrassing myself on Friday evening. Uh, That's right. You know what? Alisa will get you right. She'll get you, she'll get you tuned in and tuned up. And you'll you'll feel like you you are straight from the Caribbean. You will get it. I, I have every. I believe in you, Carlton. <laughs> we, uh, Babs, We also have we also have um, a social equity uh, or social uh, action committee of our fraternity. Uh, over the last two years, we were actively engaged with a lot of the professors and med school uh, folks at Yale on health equity. Mm. Uh, how do we make uh, the health system more responsive to the needs of our community. But we did a tremendous amount of work around health equity. Uh, this year, our project is going to be around minority business development, economic empowerment. Uh, so our fraternity is going to be uh, partnering with uh, Concorp and the lab at Concorp. And how do we uplift, how do we sponsor and promote um, Black-owned businesses in the New Haven area? So uh, let me talk a little bit about that. So uh, why are Black businesses still very much challenged by getting a foot in for opportunities and growth and development? What, what, what is your, I mean, you are a preeminent, well-known, successful businessman. What is the problem? There are lots of them, perhaps. I think it starts, I would give you two, I give you to my top two. Give me my top three. Um, I think my first one would be uh, and I think this is on everyone's list, access to the, the capital they, they need to mm. sustain and grow their business. I mean, that remains an issue for our community. I think lack of a, an honest uh, assessment of their value proposition. What should be their strategy for going to market? What is it that is going to be special about you that's going to make you successful? How can you sustain this business? So I think the value proposition, and we try to deal with that, uh, at the work that uh, is done at Concorp and the lab uh, by providing workshops on strategy development, workshops on how do you assess, you know, your customer, how do you assess your competition, things like that. So we think 
that's really going to be important as a as a factor. And I think the other thing is is just getting a mindset to scale your business. Ninety percent of black-owned businesses have no employees. That's astounding to me. We need to create uh, black-owned businesses, larger black-owned businesses that employ folks in the community. And we're working at the lab to try to do that kind of work. Um, so we have to have you know, entrepreneurs who have a mind that's scalable. Mm -hmm. And once the mind is scalable, then have your business be scalable because we need larger black-owned businesses that can employ folks in the community. Thank you for that. I just, I, I just could not not ask that question. Having you here, even though you're here to talk about, you know, the promising scholars, I just could not like pick your brain a little bit about, you know, uh, these matters of development, business development, and and all the things that uh, you're doing, and the things that the fraternity itself is doing, because um, I'm there are people listening who are very interested in and in, uh, how you move in the world and how the boule moves in the world, and so. So I I'm, I'm, I just could not not ask that question. So so when does the promising scholars get to apply? What's the what what's the opening dead opening dates and deadlines? Our portal became active on January twenty third. Oh okay. So it's open right now. Okay. And we'll we'll close at four p.m. on March sixteenth. Okay. And what's the portal? What's the what's the what's the uh? Do you have the uh? Link, uh, very, can you tell me? Very, very, very simple. Promising Scholars Fund dash Edward A. Boucher <laughs> dot org. Okay. All right. So they can go in, start the application process. I'm sure there's steps that are very clear. There are steps, um, upload information, get stuff what they need, and and then there'll be a, uh, some folks who will review that. And how soon would they find out if they are awarded a scholarship? We will uh, make award announcements um, the beginning of April. So it does not take very long at all. From the time the portal closes, the first week of April, we'll be making announcements as who the winners are. We'll be and so, so Carlton, do you attribute the turnaround, the fast turnaround of this, because you're using a system that that takes care of all that, and it's not you trying to get your brothers together to <laughs> sit up all night <laughs> looking over. Yeah, yeah the entire the entire application process, as you mentioned, is, is digital. Um, and Scholars of America is very, very proficient at this. Um, they have access to the transcripts, of the letters of recommendation are all submitted um, digitally. So they make their recommendations really very quickly for us. Mm -hmm. So we'll know the first week of April who the recipients are. And do you all do a, a scholarship rollout once a year or do you do it a couple of times a year? Once a year. Okay. So this One is year. the big time. This is the time right now. This is the big time right now. And then you spend the rest of the year fundraising so that you can do it all again next year. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. So before I let you go, and I know you have to go, what is the best possible thing that you like about what you're doing right now? Oh, my goodness. When I see uh, people like James Brockington, as I did on Saturday night, um, who has just blossomed into this entrepreneur extraordinaire, or to Keon Collender, um, in demand all around the country, in the talks on health equity and how we get uh, our communities uh, better 
more equitable healthcare. When I see that, the essence of what we do, the evidence of what we do, that's what delights me. The brilliance of these young people, because um, we want them to be all that they can be. That's what we're trying to get them to be. Thank you so much, Mr. Highsmith, for keeping the, the educational flame alive. I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to talk about our secret society. There's not, not a secret anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. If I don't see you Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day to you and your wife. And uh, enjoy your salsa night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Harry Jones, that is our Wednesday wrap-up, and we are out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. I think I'm talking to uh, Gary Tenney. We're going to be talking about uh, the fire department and 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 uh, um, what's going on in the fire departments all across the country and, and, and how uh, women are still having a tough time getting through uh, uh, trainings and coming through the ranks. So I'm talking to Gary Tinney tomorrow and I think he's bringing a guest. So I will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy your day. If you have opportunity to get over to the creative arts workshop, uh, you want to go see, uh, that wonderful exhibition that Nico Whedon, um, and, uh, of the blog fund has created in, a in a concert with the creative arts workshop. You will love these artists. Go see their work. It is stunning. And I will see you all tomorrow. Bye, Harry. Oh, <laughs>